this morning what I began last week. And if you weren't here last week uh, to hear the message, I hope you will go to our website or the app or ask Kevin for a copy of the CD because what I'm going to say today will make more sense when coupled with what I said last week. Uh, but let me just give you a quick synopsis of, of what we did last week. Um, I talked about the fact that there is an increasingly widening gap between our faith and the standards and values of the Christian faith and that of our culture. Growing up, they were fairly close. Even people that weren't Christians thought that the way Christians lived made sense and, and tried to adopt most of those values. That's not true anymore. It's just they're diverging greatly. And sometimes I feel like I'm in a tug of war. You know, here's, here's our culture, here's the Lord. And, and they pull us in two different directions. And so as Christians, how do we live in an unchristian world? And I, I shared with you three options. One is isolationism. You just decide as a Christian, I'm going to have as little to do with the world as possible. Uh, I'm just going to pull out. 
But then how do we fulfill Christ's command to go and make disciples, to share the good news? Um, you can't do that unless you're engaged and have relationships with people outside the church. So then another option was to be a what I called a cultural Christian. Somebody who... Um, you're like a chameleon. When you're, in, when you're in the world, you act one way. When you're with Christian folks, you act another way. Your language changes. Your behavior changes. Your attitudes change depending on who you're with. Just like a chameleon adapts to his environment. But we talked about how, how that does not honor Christ. He doesn't call us to be part-time Christians. There's no such thing as a part-time Christian. It's a full-time calling. So then that leaves us with the third option, which is to be counter-cultural, to go counter to the culture and to live a life that is engaged, but yet apart. And that's where I want to pick up uh, this morning. And I know what you're thinking. If you could do that in two minutes, why did you take 30 to do it last week? <laughs> Well, I filled it out a little more, okay? I had a little more to say. Um, last week, I looked at the Old Testament, specifically at the Ten Commandments and how they call us to be countercultural. This morning, I want to look at Jesus and Paul and some of the things they, they said and did. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus was very countercultural in the way he related to people. See, in Jesus' day, his culture was that of the Jewish faith. And the Jewish leaders... Uh, divided people into two groups. The people of God, people without God. And they taught isolationism. If you are one of God's people, you have absolutely nothing to do with people who are without God, that they also labeled Gentiles. You don't work with them, you don't eat with them, you don't relate to them in any way. You separate yourself from them. But then they subdivided this group. Okay, here's the people of God. Now we have those who obey the law, the righteous, and we have those who don't obey the law, sinners. So even though you're part of the people of God, if you're labeled a sinner, you're basically treated like you belong over here. And into that mix comes Jesus. And Jesus thought, this is kind of a weird system. We didn't do that. Did we do that, Father? We didn't do that. They did that. And Jesus said, I tell you what, I'm going to divide people into two groups. People who know the Lord, people who need the Lord. <laughs> and the job of the people who know the Lord is to reach the people who need the Lord. So that eventually everyone is in the know the Lord category. And in order to do that, it required him to go against the standards, the norms, the values of his culture. He had to step aside and say, I'm going to do something you won't do. And so, uh, let me give you a couple instances. Mark 2. Jesus is calling disciples. It's early in his ministry. Not very many people know about him. He hasn't really done a whole lot to get noticed. But he walks by a tax collection booth and there's Levi standing there. You also know him as Matthew. 
And no righteous Jew would ever talk to Levi, much less want to associate with him. But Jesus comes along and says, hey, I want you to come follow me. And being a tax collector put him in that category of sinner, which means he should have been treated like these over here. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to treat you just like these people over here. It doesn't make any difference to me where you start. See, Jesus is more concerned with how you're going to finish than where you start from. And so he calls Levi to follow him, and Levi is ecstatic. No righteous Jew has ever talked to him, much less invited him to do anything. So he throws a big dinner party for Jesus and invites along a bunch of other sinners, <laughs> other tax collectors, other people labeled not righteous. And while they're having this big dinner party, the Jewish leaders are standing outside because they weren't invited. And had they been invited, they wouldn't have gone because they don't associate with them. But they criticized Jesus. You, you claim to be righteous, and yet you eat and associate with the unrighteous. And Jesus said, look, who goes to a doctor? Do well people who are feeling good and doing well make doctor's appointments? And you go in there and the doctor says, what brings you in today? You go, nothing. I just kind of felt like going to the doctor. <laughs> no, you go to the doctor because you're sick. So he said, who needs a doctor? Sick people. Who needs God? Sinners. <laughs> Righteous people claim they already have him. They don't need me. These are the people that need me. Another story, John 8, one you're probably familiar with. The, the woman caught in adultery. Jewish woman, so she's in the people of God category, committing adultery, so she's in sinner category. And according to Jewish law, the righteous have the right to stone her to death for her crime. So they drag her outside, they pick up the rocks, they get ready to carry out the sentence, but they decide, wait a minute, Let's go talk to Jesus. We can show Jesus up for who he is. That he's someone who doesn't follow the rules. Because he'll probably want to show her mercy rather than condemn her. So they drag this poor woman through the streets, humiliating and shaming her. Throw her down at Jesus' feet and explain the situation and say, now what do you say? What do we do? Well, Jesus managed to convince them that they should drop their rocks and go away. And he looks at the woman and says, who condemns you? She looked around and said, well, nobody. He said, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. I love that verse in Scripture because it shows the perfect balance between truth and grace. Jesus had a way of balancing those two perfectly. Now, we struggle with those. See, the Jewish leaders claim to have truth on their side. We have the law. We have God's word. And they hammered people with it. They beat people up with it. And Jesus came along and said, you know, you're right. We have the law. But there is a way 
to approach people with the law that instead of beating them up and tearing them down, says there's a better way. There's a better way. And if you'll follow me, I can take you from your way to the better way. Uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.15 that you should speak the truth with love. Boy, we struggle with that in our culture today, don't we? You talk about being countercultural. If you master the art of speaking the truth with love, you are very countercultural. Because most people today want to do what the Pharisees did. They want to hammer people with the truth. All you got to do is read a lot of social media, and you'll find out. If somebody thinks they're right and you're wrong, they're not very loving about how they say that. They basically hammer you with it and want to tell you all the ways in which you're wrong. Um, and as Christians, we are called to be like Jesus, which means we are called to be counter-cultural in the way we relate to people. We need to speak truth. Uh, that's why I love what Jesus did. You notice he said, neither do I. That's grace. I don't condemn you. But he didn't leave it at that. He didn't excuse or overlook her sin. He said, no, then, then he spoke truth to her. Go and leave your life of sin. And the implication is because if you don't, you're going to face a harsher judge than the religious leaders. You know, your sin is real. I'm not saying, oh, you're okay, you're fine. There's nothing wrong here. But I'm saying I'm not going to condemn you for what you did because I think if we show you grace you can learn there's a better way and you'll choose a better path of life he spoke the truth but he did it in love and we need to do the same and then there's Paul Paul had tons of things to say about being countercultural, and I'm just going to focus in on one I mentioned it briefly last week but I, I want to say some more Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Let me stop there. I didn't even get through the first verse. He gives us the motivation for being countercultural. Because let's face it, being countercultural is the harder way to live, isn't it? It is easier to go along. It is easier when I'm with a group of people to find out what their norm, their standard is of behavior and be like them, talk like them, act like them, adopt their attitudes. It's easy. What's hard is to stand apart. So why should I do it? Why should I set myself up for misunderstanding and ridicule because I refuse to live according to the ways of this world and instead choose the path of Christ. Here's why. In view of God's mercy. We all need to realize we are the benefactors of God's mercy. Jesus died for you. Jesus sacrificed himself for you. The only reason you're in the position you're in in relationship to God is because he died for you. And because he gave his life for you, you owe your life to him. In some ancient cultures, they have this thing called a life debt. 
You ever heard of this? A life debt. That means if somebody saves your life, you are bound to that person to honor and serve them because you basically owe your life to them. And Paul is saying that you owe Jesus a life debt. In view of God's mercy, you owe him your honor, your service, your obedience. So what does he want from us? We are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. What does that mean? Well, back in the Old Testament, they had a system whereby you sin, you grab some animal somewhere, some poor innocent animal, you drag it into the temple, and they kill it. And the blood of the animal that's poured out on the altar uh, is in your place. In other words, that animal died for your sin. Didn't choose to, but it did. And Paul is saying, we're done with that. With the coming of Jesus, God doesn't want animals to die in your stead because he's going to send his son to die in your stead. And he did. Therefore, his sacrifice has been made. So now, because of your life debt, he wants from you a living sacrifice. He wants you to live your life in a way that honors him. He says, off your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Okay, how do we do that? How do I live a life that is holy and pleasing to God? He keeps going. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I talked about that a little last week. But I want to approach it again. Uh, when I, uh, let's see, it was the summer between my sophomore and junior years of college. My dad worked for the Chrysler Foundry down in Indianapolis, and they made engine blocks. It was an amazing thing. They made sand molds, and then into those sand molds, they poured molten steel, and it would harden, and then they'd knock off the sand, and you'd have an engine block. As you can imagine... It's a very dirty, noisy place. But Sue and I both, he got us both jobs there. Because do you know what we made at Chrysler? $750. $750. I know you're thinking, really? How'd you get that much? I was running curb at Steak and Shake making a buck ten plus quarter tips. So you got me a job for seven fifty. I was living large. <laughs> and we were going to be married the next summer, so that, that was helpful. But I, I remember I go in, we were what they call vacation replacement. So people that went on vacation, so we were going to do something different every week or two. That's wherever they needed us. And the first job they took me into, there was this huge machine. And it was the sand molder. And they poured the sand into this machine, and the guy brought me over, and he said, now, Roger, here's what you do. You push this button, you wait for the sand to go in, you pull this lever, you step on this pedal, you slide this over, and then the sand fills the mold, sets in the mold, you pull this out, you set it over here and send it on so it can be heat-treated to bake the mold. 
Um, what button? <laughs> you know, I, I, all right, you push this button, you pull this lever, you step on this pedal, you slide, to, okay. About the third time he explained that, I finally, okay, I think I got that. And then I figured out there were, there were like four machines in a row, so I'm just going to watch this dude. Oh, he pulls that lever. I was going to pull this one. <laughs> and you know, and you do all that. But it was amazing because this, this sand would come out into this mold because once the sand got in the machine, it went and it squished it this way. And it's, it molded it, shaped it, pressed it, put pressure on it. And it came out what they wanted it to be. And when I read that, the words of Paul there, don't be conformed to this world, I think of that machine. Because that's what the world wants to do to us. Think of our culture as the machine and your sand. And the world says... Dump yourself in, and we'll press and squeeze and shape and mold you so you're the way the world wants you to be. And Jesus comes along and says, you know, that machine's really no good. <laughs> I have another way. If you'll add the sand of your life to my love and grace, I could shape you different. Now, the world's going to look at you and go, well, that's weird. <laughs> that shape doesn't match ours. But the world will also notice that your life is different in a positive way. And as I said last week, that doesn't mean when you meet somebody that you immediately go up, hi, I'm Roger, and I'm a Christian. Deal with it. <laughs> you know, I... You don't have to get radical about it. But it means you live your life in such a way that even though you're in the midst of a, a different culture, you're different. You, you have different attitudes, you speak different, you act different, and the people around you notice you're different. And at first they may think that's bad, but after a while they begin to see, you know, there's something there. Why is he this way and we're this way? And... His life's better than ours. And then that's when you get the opportunity. So you want to know what makes me different? Let me introduce you to somebody. His name's Jesus. The Christian life is a counter-cultural life. It always has been and it always will be. Uh, in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. You can't honor, serve, and obey God and live according to the values of this world. You can't say yes, Lord, on Sunday and no, Lord, on Monday. You can't accept Christ as your Savior but then reject the truth of His Word. You can't honor God here but ignore God out there. Either he is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. Now that's a hard truth, but it is truth because it comes from here. This isn't stuff I made up. But it's a truth that will serve you well. 
as you live your life in this world, it won't be the easy path. Jesus said that. The way's hard that follows me, but it leads to life. Now, last week I, I ended with Joshua's challenge to Israel as they prepared to go into the promised land, and I want to do the same this morning. He stood before the people and he said, Choose you today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a challenge you need to face every day. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime challenge saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, so I'm choosing the Lord. Because every day you have to make that choice to follow him, to be countercultural, or to follow the way of the world. So in the morning when you get up, look in the mirror. You may want to wait till you've showered and done stuff because otherwise, you know. I look in the mirror first and go, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but when you're ready to face yourself, look in the mirror and point at yourself and say, choose you today who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you for giving us the truth of your word. It's a hard truth. It's a truth that I have to admit at times I would love to ignore because it puts us in un uncomfortable situations. It puts us in awkward situations. It, it is hard to go against the flow of the world in which you live. But you've promised us, if we will, that you will bless us beyond measure. Father, we owe Jesus a life debt, and we want to honor that debt by following you, by being countercultural in the way we live in this world. So I ask that you guide us and direct us, and all the while, love us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There have been times when I've had people make a knee-jerk reaction. Someone that I knew is not a Christian, and they would hear a certain message or something would happen, and they'd jump up and go, now i got to be a Christian. And then the more they would think about it afterwards, they'd go, I don't really, I'm not really ready to do that. And so we never want you to do that. That's why there's no pressure. I don't stand up here. Uh, I know in the old days there were pastors who said this invitation is not going to end until somebody comes. <laughs> so they'd push somebody out of the seat and say, you gotta go up. you got to go up there so he'll shut up. <laughs> I don't want to do that because it may not be your time but it may and if it is your time if you are ready to say yes to Jesus to make him the Lord of your life and to live this countercultural way of life then I'm going to invite you to come it'll be my pleasure to receive you to pray with you to lead you in a simple confession of faith accepting Christ as your savior I invite you to come. As we stand together, we're going to sing number 456, verses 1 and 3.
surround me with the song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Child of God, I'm no longer.